In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. First, some thank yous. Thank you to Archdeacon Veronica Ritson and her team in the Deacons Academy that have had such an important role in forming the candidates for today. And Veronica, would you and the members of the Deacons Academy uh, please stand up? Let's give them a hand of applause. (laughs) Second thank you. If you are a supervising rector or vicar of a church that has been working with a deacon candidate over the last couple of years, I know that your ministry to them has been extremely important, and they would not be here without you. So if you were one of, uh, a clergy person from one of those sponsoring parishes, would you please stand up, and let's give you a hand of applause. <laughs> And last, but perhaps the most important, family members of those who are being ordained today. It's been, uh, it's been a long road for many of you, and you've been supportive and wonderful to, uh, to your, uh, your deacon-to-be. And if you are a family member uh, of one of these folks uh, sitting here in front of me this morning, would you now please stand up and let's have a hand of applause for you. Most of us know that there are three ordained orders in the church, bishops, priests, and deacons. But did you know which of those orders came first? Now, you might think bishops, since bishops are the successors to the apostles, which means they get to boss everybody around. Or maybe you guessed priests. After all, they were needed to perform the sacraments. But the answer, so appropriate to what we are doing today, is in fact deacons. Most church scholars believe that deacons were the very first group of people in the early church who were set apart for a special ministry, the first ordained ministry. We hear a mention of that process in our lesson from Acts this morning. The twelve apostles asked the community to select seven men of good standing for the purpose of distributing food to the community. And then, quote, they had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. This, in fact, is the first ordination mentioned in the New Testament, and it's for deacons. In a recent paper presented to the House of Bishops, Bishop Tom Breitenthal, one of the candidates to be our new presiding bishop, asked why deacons were the first to be ordained. His answer, I believe, has huge implications for us today. Deacons were the first special order in the church because they were set apart to serve the early church wanted the world to know that this new religion called Christianity 
was not like other religions which dominated the ancient world, Mithridism, Zoroastrianism, and of course Judaism. Those religions all had their priestly castes, their special ways of worship, their hierarchy of leaders who had special ceremonial dress to wear and liturgical acts to perform. What the church wanted to say to the world was, we don't just worship a deity up there, we serve the world down here. Or as the gospel has it, the one who is greatest is the one who serves. This was an extremely revolutionary statement to make. The modern equivalent would be almost like saying, our heroes are not business tycoons, generals, politicians, and celebrities, but nurses' aides, firemen, and busboys. In the church, it is the servant of Christ, the slave, the doulos, who has the glam job and who gets ranked the highest. This is why, to this day, the ministry of the deacon is the foundation upon which all other ministry of the church is built. Three of the deacons being ordained today will go on to be priests. Two will be vocational. But every ordained person, even a priest or a bishop, is a deacon first. This fact is made dramatically clear on very solemn occasions when a bishop wears what are called full pontificals. He or she first wears the dalmatic, the formal vestment of a deacon, then a chasuble worn by priests, and over it all a cope. In essence saying that even a bishop is first of all a deacon, then a priest, then a bishop. Now, we don't have a set of full pontificals at the cathedral, so this is going to have to do. Deacons, this stole's for you. <laughs> Moreover, it is the deacon who reminds us all, ordained or not, of our baptismal vows to seek and serve Christ in all persons. The diaconate is the linchpin of Christian ministry, the first and most important model of ministry to the larger church community, and a statement to the world that the church is in the business of serving others. We engage the world in the name of the one who died for the world. Now, it has been suggested by some in the church that we shouldn't bother with diaconal ordination for those who are going to be priests. Let's just skip ahead. Just have one service and ordain them one time. That, I believe, would be a huge mistake. For all ministry, ordained or lay, is founded upon the idea of servanthood, which is epitomized in the, deacon, in the diaconate. Now, the five men and women before you have heard in their training that a deacon is not only one who serves, 
but who also acts as an intermediary or conduit between the church and the world. A good deacon reminds the church of the needs of the world and also represents the church's presence to the world, especially in those places of suffering and need. The deacons say to the congregation on Sunday morning, "Uh, hello people, there are needy folks right there on your doorstep. While saying to people in places like nursing homes, hospitals, and schools, the fact that I'm here walking among you means that the church cares about you. That is one reason, by the way, they wear a clerical collar. It's not a badge of their rank. It's a mark of their ministry. A waiter may carry a towel over his or her arm. The deacon wears a collar. And both things mean, how may I serve you? Today, I would like to suggest another metaphor for the office of deacon, one which picks up on their special ministry of conduit from church to world. Much as I dislike military analogies, I would like to suggest that deacons are like the special forces units of the church. The job of special forces troops is to go undercover and infiltrate behind enemy lines. Their task, and it is a highly dangerous one, is to scope out hostile territory, find its weak points, and report back. In our recent military history, we've heard stories of how in the Gulf Wars and later in Iraq and Afghanistan, specially trained units infiltrated into the inner circles of enemy command. They did so by disguise, dressed in native garb, fluent speakers of the native language. To use a popular 19th century term, special forces units are a fifth column operating inside the defenses of the enemy. Once there, they serve many functions, intelligence gathering, destruction of key buildings, and most dramatically, hostage rescue. The same qualities that make a special forces soldier valuable are shared by an effective deacon. First, they must know the territory. Second, they must speak the language. And third, they must report back. Let's see how these requirements apply to deacons. First, they need to know the territory. By now, most of you know that one of my favorite mottos is that all mission is local. Our churches can have the greatest impact on their immediate neighbors, but I find that often we don't even know who our neighbors are. That's because in the 20 or 50 or 100 years since most of our churches were built, the neighborhood around them has changed dramatically. A once white middle-class enclave is now mostly Spanish-speaking. The old downtown is now home to students and hipsters. A former farming community has become a destination for young commuting families. Instead of engaging with this change, most congregations struggle even harder to hold on to a shrinking remnant 
of the old environment. Deacons can help us get out of those silos by scouting the territory, involving themselves in the civic life of the community, and serving as chaplains to non-church institutions. Deacons, you see, are the great go-betweens. To do this, however, it helps to know the language. And there are a number of languages that Arizona Episcopalians don't speak very well. The most obvious is Spanish. In the next 20 years, Arizona will become a fully bilingual state in terms of population. We're making progress by planting more Hispanic congregations, but still only 10 of our 63 congregations offer Spanish worship. That's why the Commission on Ministry now encourages all of our ordinands to have a working knowledge of that language. But there are other languages we need to learn. On the top of my list is the dialect of youth, the poetry of Native Americans, the prose of the working poor. Deacons are in a unique position to not only speak to these groups, but more importantly, to listen. A few examples. One of our current deacons works in a high school. Another is a chaplain to a medical clinic on the border. And yet another is a doctor at an Indian hospital on the Navajo Reservation. The stories these deacons hear, the needs that they encounter, become the basis of the church's mission in Arizona, of our mission. Like all special forces, the information these deacons gather about the world out there needs to be reported back, which means that the rest of us need to take their ministry seriously and to hear what they're telling us about the needs of the world. Now, we do that liturgically. Why is it, do you think, that the de- it's the deacon's job to prepare the altar on Sunday morning, to remind us that we're all waiters, all servers at the Lord's table? Why do you think it's the deacon's job to proclaim the gospel in the midst of the people, to remind us that we will find, all of us, the living Christ in the world around us? Why is it that the deacon dismisses us when the Eucharist is over, to send us out the door with our marching orders? The worship is over, now the service begins. But even more, we need to pay attention to our deacons the other six days of the week when they're not standing at the altar. They have much to tell us about the needs of the world and how we ought to respond. All of us here today have come because we support these deacons in their new ministry. But let us also be there for them when they ask us to work in the soup kitchen or take the youth group on a trip or teach church school, or go on a mission trip, or build a house. They have scouted out behind enemy lines, and they need us to join them in a search and rescue operation. And so I would like to ask our church's special forces, our new deacons, to please stand where they are. Bola, Mark, Michael, Pam, and Sandy. We, the Church of God, are asking you to show us the way. 
to report back to us, to prophetically challenge us to be the kind of people Jesus called us all to be at our baptism. We don't have a special uniform to give you, no green beret, but we do give you a stole, a garment of service. When we see you in church, you'll be wearing your stole over your shoulder, the place where burdens are carried. Your stole will remind us that we too are called to carry the pain and suffering of our brothers and sisters in the world. Outside the church, you won't be wearing your stole, but you will be an example to us, modeling for us, cajoling us, sometimes even twisting our arm to do our job, which is to seek and serve Christ in all persons. We are asking you to be the scouts going before us into a world which often scares us and which we find much easier to discount or to ignore. Let us never forget what Jesus called us to do. Be for us those prophets, those pathfinders, who remind us that there is a battle to be fought and there's also a prize to be won. Amen.